Again, good morning to those of you that are at home worshiping with us and those of you that are here. 2020 was a tough year. From political and social turmoil to the trials that surround this pandemic that has uh, gripped our nation and the world, to the economic struggles that are, have been brought on by our attempts to deal with it. The events of the last year have been very difficult for many. Most importantly for Christians, I fear we have forsaken our first love as we dwell on these problems. I listened to a message given by a friend of mine, uh, many of you know him this last week, on the hymn of Simeon found in Luke chapter 2. He pointed out that we have likely been more committed to grumbling than thanksgiving. He said this, he said, everything we have, everything that's good comes from God and all of it is a gift. Gratitude is the awareness that everything is a gift from God, starting with our very existence and then leading all the way to our salvation. Ingratitude is our default setting. We specialize in our culture today on various things that are enemies of gratitude, an entitlement mentality, and pride. Many of you know Tom Hovestall, good man. I think these are, there's a lot of truth in these words. And I think, unfortunately, it's very destructive for God's church. Our text this morning, 1 Samuel 12, continues the teaching series that Pastor Chad began before Christmas. This morning, we will look at Israel's earthly focus as they sought a perishable king in exchange for the durable king, in exchange for the heavenly focus on God. From this, we will evaluate our own focus. Is it on the perishable or the durable? The temporal or the eternal? Do we have an earthly focus or do we focus on the kingdom of God? If you'd please stand with me in honor of the word of God. We're actually studying the whole chapter, but uh, pulled a couple of segments out for us this morning to begin with. And Samuel said to the people, The Lord is witness, who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. Now therefore stand still that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous deeds of the Lord that he performed for you and for your fathers. When Jacob went into Egypt and the Egyptians oppressed them, then your fathers cried out to the Lord, and the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. But they forgot the Lord their God, and he sold them into the hands of Sisera, commander of the army of Hazor, and into the hand of the Philistines, and into the hand of the king of Moab. And they fought against them. And they cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and have served the Baals and the Ashtoreth. But now deliver us out of the hand of our enemies that we may serve you. 
And the Lord sent Jeroboam and Barak and Jephthah and Samuel and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side, and you lived in safety. And when you saw that Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, came against you, you said to me, No, but a king shall reign over us when the Lord God was your king. And now behold the king whom you have chosen, for whom you have asked, behold, the Lord has set a king over you. If you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, and if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. And then continuing in verse 19, And all the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants to the Lord your God that we may not die. For we have added to all our sins this evil to ask for ourselves a king. And Samuel said to the people, Do not be afraid. You have done all this evil, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. And I will instruct you in the good and right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart, for consider the great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. You may be seated. Again, we're continuing in this study in Samuel here at First Baptist Church. And our lesson this morning will take a look at these things. Um, Samuel's vindication. Israel's focus on the perishable, the things of this earth. Uh, in contrast with God's faithfulness to the people of Israel. We'll look at God's pathway for a successful transition from the theocracy where God is the king to the monarchy where Israel asked for a human king. We'll look at this incredible portrait of grace that we see here and how Israel is called by Samuel to respond. And then we'll look at God's sovereignty and his grace for us communicated in this passage. And then finally, we'll ask, how can we apply this? So our setting this morning, uh, chapter 8, you may remember, Israel demanded a king. God wasn't good enough for the people of Israel. I just want you to think about that for a second. God was the king of Israel. It was not good enough for them, so they demanded a king. And so Samuel went to God, and God said, give them their king. Give them their king but explain to them what that actually means. Chapters 9 and 10, Saul is chosen as the first king of Israel. He's anointed and he's presented to the people. In chapter 11, Saul defeats Nahash of the Ammonites, uh, and there's a confirmation ceremony of Saul as king of Israel that is given at the place known as Gilgal. And chapter 12 takes place at this ceremony, our text this morning. 
And so we see here Saul's transition from judge to prophet. In fact, your Bible, as mine does, might call this Samuel's farewell address. But in fact, Samuel's not going anywhere. In fact, we're only halfway through 1 Samuel, right? There's two of them, so he'll be around for a while. He does not stop ministering to Israel. Rather, he transitions. He goes from being judge to prophet. Even as the nation of Israel is transitioning from a theocracy to a monarchy. And he begins with a vindication of his ministry in the first five chapters. And let me read these quickly, very quickly to you. And Samuel said to all Israel, behold, I have obeyed your voice in all that you said to me and have made a king over you. And now behold, the king walks before you and I am old and gray. Behold, my sons are with you. I have walked before you from my youth until this day. Here I am. Testify against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? Testify against me and I will restore it to you. And they said, you have not defrauded us or oppressed us or taken anything from any man's hand. And he said to them, the Lord is witness against you and his anointed is witness this day. You have not found anything in my hand. And they said, he is witness. See, this is significant for two reasons. First of all, Samuel's blameless judgeship communicated to the incoming king Saul the standard by which God expected his leadership of the nation. God expected Saul to lead blamelessly as Samuel had as a judge. It also served, I think, as a stark contrast. You have God's appointed authority, the last judge, Samuel, who's affirmed as being faultless. And yet, under the worldly leadership of the monarchy, the people would be extremely oppressed by their kings. And so we see here that oppression being laid out before us. In verses 6 to 13, Samuel began to then contrast Israel's sinful focus on the world, on things that are perishable, with God's faithfulness to his people. He says in verse 7, he says this, Now therefore stand still. I don't know about you, but those of you with kids, this makes sense. Therefore stand still, that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous deeds of the Lord that he performed for you and for your fathers. And it's important that we notice this cycle here. In these um, succeeding verses, Israel will call on God in times of trouble that they've created for themselves. And God responds and delivers Israel. And then, of course, Israel rebels again. God punishes Israel, and then we rinse and repeat, right? Over and over and over. And so we see in verses 8 and 9, which we read earlier, 
Israel's fathers were oppressed by the Egyptians and they cried out to God. And God sent Aaron and Moses and delivered the people of Israel out of Egypt into the land of Canaan. Their chosen, God's chosen land for his chosen people. But as soon as they get there again, they forget the Lord their God. And so then God sold them into the hands of Hazor and the Philistines and Moab, all the nations that surround Israel. And again, the people cry out, we have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord. And we have served these idols, the Baals and the Ashtoreth. But now deliver us that we would serve you. And the Lord sent judges and the Lord delivered them from these people. And yet again in verse 12 and 13, Nahash the Ammonite came to make war against them. And what do they do? Again, they reject God. They demand a king. The people of Israel said, no, but a king shall reign over us. And Samuel points out to them. When the Lord your God was your king. This is absolute rebellion. Absolute rebellion on the, on the part of the people of Israel. We see in 1 Samuel 8, 7. God said to Samuel, they have not rejected you, Samuel, but they have rejected me from being king over them. We see in 1 Samuel 10. But today you have rejected your God, Samuel said to the people of Israel, who saves you from all your calamities and your distresses. And you have said to him, set a king over us. And Samuel warned them, there won't be delivery from an earthly king. This earthly king will not deliver you. The president of the United States will not deliver you. 1 Samuel 8, 18, and in that day you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. See, freedom from the monarchy would only come from being conquered by other nations. 1 Samuel 8, 19 and 20 then says, but the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, no, but there shall be a king over us. That we also may be like all the nations. You get that? The people of Israel reject God as king. They want to be like the world. That we may also be like all the nations. And that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Well, God gave them what they wanted. In verse 13, Samuel says, Behold the king you wanted, for whom you have asked. And I ask you this morning, where was Israel's focus? Where was their focus? Was it on the kingdom of heaven? Was it on God? Israel focused on the stuff of this world, the things that are perishable. And where did that get them? Focus on the world constitutes rebellion. And rebellion always led to punishment. But God is faithful when we are faithless. And God gave them a pathway. He gave them both a prescription and a warning in this passage. In verse 14, he says, If you fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord... And if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God 
it will be well. It'll be okay. But, verse 15, if you will not obey the, the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. And then to drive this point home in verses 16 to 18, if you have your Bible open, you can look at those. Uh, Samuel calls for a sign from God to verify the wickedness of Israel in their actions. Verse 16 says this, Now therefore stand still. Again, if you have a kid, you get this, right? This is my daughter. Like, won't stop moving, right? Stand still. See this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest day? I will call upon the Lord that he may send thunder and rain, and you shall know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord in asking for yourselves a king. So Samuel called upon the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day, and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. You see, the message was received, again, by the people of Israel. And they responded by asking Samuel, as we read earlier, pray for us. Pray for your servants to the Lord your God, that we may not die, for we have added to all our sins this evil, to ask for ourselves a king. And in verse 23, Samuel says, I would never stop praying for you. I will always do that. And I will continue to instruct and to guide you. But more importantly, Samuel's reply to the people of Israel points to a beautiful portrait of God's grace. In verses 20 to 25, beginning with verse 20, Samuel said to the people, do not be afraid. You have done all this evil. Wait, did I read that wrong? Shouldn't it say, do not be afraid? You haven't done evil? Well, that's what a man-made religion might say. God's grace covers our sin, even though we don't deserve it. Samuel said, do not be afraid. You have done all of this evil. Don't miss this. Yes, you've been evil, but don't fear. Why? Verse 22, Samuel says, For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake. Not for you, but for his great name's sake. Because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. And then Samuel says this. How should the people respond to this immeasurable grace? First of all, Follow God and serve him. What should our response be? We'll talk about this in a minute, but I'm going to give you kind of a hint. It's going to look the same. Our response to grace should be the same as the people of Israel's. Samuel says, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve him with all your heart. Don't chase the things of this earth. Verse 21, do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. And then thirdly, he says this, be thankful for what God has done. Verse 24, only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. I would suggest that's probably something we need to hear after this last year. In this chapter, we see the ultimate picture 
of God's sovereignty and his grace, not only for Israel, but also for those of us who have received Christ Jesus as our Savior. And we see this in verse 25. Samuel says, but if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. Man, what a great picture of grace, huh? You'll be swept away. In fact, follow me through this. I think that it is an incredible picture of God's sovereignty and his grace. You see, God is sovereign. He's not surprised by the fact that the people of Israel demanded a king. He's not surprised, by the way, for COVID. God is sovereign. He said this in Deuteronomy, Moses, as he's laying out the law for the people hundreds of years before this. Moses says to the people of Israel, when you come to the land, to Israel, that the Lord your God is giving you and you possess it and dwell in it. And then say, you ready for this little prophecy here? I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me. You may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. But again, God knew the direction that Israel was going to take. And so in Deuteronomy 28, as Moses is then listing out the curses for disobedience, he says this first in verse 15. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. And specifically, in dealing with the monarchy, the Lord will bring you, verse 36, and your king whom you set over you to a nation that neither you nor your fathers have known. You see, God worked through the sinfulness of man to fulfill his plan to bring the world a savior. And we have just celebrated this time, this savior that God has sent to us. You see, like Joseph in Genesis 50, verse 20, talking to his brothers who said, you meant evil, but God meant it for good. We see in Acts 13, Paul is telling the people, he says, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king and God gave them, the Saul, gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And when he had removed him, we'll cover this later for his sinfulness. When he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David the son of Jesse a man after my heart, who will do my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel and to us a Savior, Jesus. God is not surprised. John Piper, many of you know uh, John Piper, uh, pastor at Bethel, um, I think in Illinois, said this. He said, only God can be the rightful king of Israel. But there needed to be a human king. Because for God to have a people to rule and to love who were not in hell because of their sins, the king had to die for the people, and God cannot die. Man can die. And so the king of Israel is the God-man, so that the king can be God. But he is also the God-man, so that the king can die.
See, beyond this beautiful picture that we see of God's incredible grace, I think there's a lesson for us. And so I ask this question, how do we apply this to our lives? Other than simply being thankful, which again we'll talk about in a moment. But how do we apply this in our lives? Brothers and sisters, what I'm about to say is probably going to frustrate you. I'm just going to be honest. And I beg of you that you don't shut me out right now. Just know that as I preach, I'm preaching to myself. That over the last year, I have struggled significantly like many of you have. Many of the ways in which I define myself as a teacher and as a coach and also as an elder, all of those things kind of went away in this last year. And it was really easy for me to focus on all the bad stuff that was going on as I sat and talked to a computer for the better part of a year. See, this all applies to me, but I think we need to hear this. And so my question to you is this, how about us? Where is our focus? Where, is, where are our eyes? Where is our heart? Have we turned after empty things that cannot profit or deliver? Does God have all of our heart? Is your focus on the election? Maybe you believe that the president should have been impeached. Or perhaps you think that the election was stolen. Is your focus on masking? Perhaps you believe that people should be forced to wear them. Or maybe you believe conversely that masks are really a government conspiracy to take away your freedom. Or are you more concerned with the economy than you are God's kingdom? are hard things to say really try to get out of it to be honest and I think they're probably hard things to hear but think about this for a moment when was the last time you shared the gospel when was the last time you debated masking when was the last time you talked about the election I wonder if there's a problem here Again, and I'm talking either side. I'm not taking a stand on any of those issues. I'm way smarter than that to do that. But if our focus is on those things, are we focusing on the perishable things of this earth? In a message delivered at a Bible conference some time ago, to be quite honest, before he got a little off the deep end, Francis Chan said this. He said, I'm looking at the early church in Acts. It's so radically different. If you've read the book of Acts, think about that. It's so radically different from what I'm experiencing. But then I go to church and everyone seems okay with it. They're not bugged by it. But what are we doing? Francis Chan says, sometimes I feel like we're playing a game. It would be like, I love this analogy. It would be like walking into an ice skating rink and seeing a bunch of people throwing fish at little hamsters that are running around. And you walk in, you go, what are you guys doing? And they say, oh, we're playing soccer. And you just kind of go, oh, where do I start with this? I feel like that in church sometimes, Francis Chan says. 
He continued, the early church in Acts was this unstoppable force. It's just like Jesus said, I'm going to build this church and the gates of hell won't take this thing down. And then you look at our churches today and you go, they're pretty stoppable. Have a pastor leave. If he's a good speaker, bring in another one who's maybe not as good. Church is dead. Cut the budget. You don't like the worship. Maybe the drums are too loud. People leave. I don't like this guy in church. He was bugging me. So I just don't come anymore. You change service times. I'm not real comfortable with that. I'm not coming anymore. When people leave over child care, we have a great child care program here. And a lot of you have come here because of that. I worry about the churches that you left because of that. This church has this, that church has that. Francis Chan says, man, I don't know where to start. It doesn't seem like the same thing. It doesn't seem like that church that we read about in Acts. You call that an unstoppable force, he says. You call that a church where the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You look at the title of this sermon. If Jesus were the pastor of your church, you probably wouldn't go there. Scathing. Absolutely scathing. If you want to know where you can find that, I'd be happy to... To, to let you know, but I'm going to warn you now. Be prepared. See, where is our focus? Are we focusing on the, on the things that Samuel called the empty things that cannot profit or deliver? Or is your focus on God and his kingdom? Let us be reminded of the words that Jesus himself said in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, we might say, for where your focus is, there your heart will be also. Or we think of the words of the apostles, the apostle Peter in 1 Peter 2, when he said, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, the debating, the endless arguing, which wage war against your soul. Or Colossians 3, where Paul says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above not on things that are on the earth. You know, elections, the economy, masking, war in the Middle East, newsflash, that's going to happen a lot. It's happened for quite some time. Instead, focus on the things of heaven. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, Paul says, Give thanks in all circumstances, all of them, even if you're expected to wear a mask or if you're not expected to wear a mask. Even if you don't like the outcome of the election, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You see, these are precisely the messages that Samuel gave the people of Israel. Have we allowed the issues of 2020 to be disunifying in God's church? Not your church, not my church, God's church. Have we allowed those things to be disunifying? 
I would suggest to you that this is an example of a misplaced focus. Paul says in this beautiful passage in Philippians 2, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. I wonder if today he would say, count others more significant than yourselves, regardless of their view on whether or not you should wear a mask. Regardless of their view about how they feel about the vaccine. Regardless of their view on the election. In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, to be held on to, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. Can you imagine that we just celebrated Christmas? We just celebrated when God himself became this bodily shell that we are and was laid in a manger in a stable. Many of you have stables. They're not great places. It's not where you'd probably want to lay a baby. God became man for us. Paul says, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. It seems to me that we can be obedient to him. We can focus on the glory of God and his kingdom, or we can exchange that for the stuff of earth. The stuff that most of us probably focused on, if you're like me, in 2020. When we do this, we exchange the truth for a lie. Because our focus betrays what we worship. Our focus betrays what we worship. See that in Romans 1. But make no mistake about it. We don't actually have a choice. Jesus says pretty clearly in John that if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, as we start this new year, Father, we ask that you would speak to our hearts. Father, speak to my heart. Help me to know areas where I'm being disunifying. Help me to know the areas where I'm focused on the stuff of this earth. God, renew our focus on you and the kingdom of heaven, the only thing that matters in our lives. And God, help us, help us please to be thankful in all that we do in every circumstance. Because God, you are the great giver of our lives and you are the great giver of salvation. Father, be with us this morning. Help us to know how near you are to us. And as we begin communion now, God, I pray that you would lay on our hearts ways that we can seek you more clearly.
It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. This morning, we have the opportunity to start this new year the way God would have us, by remembering the work of Christ Jesus on the cross through communion. As the men come to pass out the elements, please know that this is not First Baptist Church's table. Rather, it is our Lord Jesus Christ's. And so we invite all of you who have a personal relationship with Jesus to join us this morning. As you prepare your heart for communion, I encourage you to consider the many reasons we have to be thankful for what God has done in our lives. Now, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You are dismissed. Have a great day.